Good morning. I say good morning, First Baptist Asheville. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be assembled with the believers, both in pre present, uh, in person, excuse me, and those joining us virtually. Uh, this is my first time I was telling my namesake, Casey. Uh, this is my first time uh, actually stopping in Asheville. And so, and I have been um, delighted to be in this, in the city and in this place this morning. So thank you for graciously greeting me and welcoming me today. Amen? Amen. Um, I also want to bring you greetings on behalf of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Global and Paul Baxley, who is our executive coordinator. Um, as one of our churches, we are just delighted for the partnership and the friendship that you all are with us. Amen. This morning, I won't be before you long um, with the text I want to just stop by today and to share with you around the subject matter, finding a seat in a crowded room. Finding a seat in a crowded room. I don't know if any of you have, um, have had this experience of going to the movie theater and either you were late or you're the one assigned to get the popcorn and the, and the soda while everybody else is taking a seat and hold it. I thank God now that you can reserve seats so those who are growing up behind us won't have to figure out how to find the place. But what's interesting about that concept is that when you are the one, when the lights have gone out and folks are seated, then when you enter the room, you've got to figure out how to find your folks. Or if you are by yourself, how to figure out where you're going to sit to enjoy the show. And I want to suggest to you, when you have that experience, is an experience that you'll see um, and that, that uh, thank, I want to thank Heather for getting the imagery. I have to say that. I'm going to take a step back and say, I, I love that you all incorporate arts in your worship. And the imagery that you see here um, on the front, you'll see the white vase. Right? In the background, you see the white vase that shows up? And there's a term called figure ground, where you have two images that are in the same place, that when you first look at it, you may see one image, but then when you look a little deeper, you can see a second image. If you focus on the white, you'll see the vase. But if you look at the black and realize there are two faces that are looking at one another. Another way to say that is that if you ever watched a movie and they will have a focus um, you'll have the background blurred out so that you can see either the child or the person. I'm mentioning this and I'm going through this and I mentioned the movie theaters because sometimes you can enter into a space and because you're so focused looking for that empty seat or looking for your people, you may not even recognize who else is in the theater. You may not recognize that. And what's important about that is that I want to suggest to you today when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, this young leader in the church, as Paul, who was an, an elderly statesman who has lived a long life and fought a good fight, wanted to make sure he left some advice for this young man, for this young leader in the church. And I believe that it has something to say to us today. Because he says to Timothy before he gives him charge that there's going to be a season in the life of the church where you're going to have, there's going to be difficult times in the church. That people will be lovers of themselves, that they will love, they will be lovers of money, that they will be boastful, they will be proud, they will be abusive, they will be disobedient to parents, 
ungrateful and unholy. There will be a season in the time of the church where folks will, will um, be without love. They will be unforgiving. They will be slanderous without self-control. And I want to say to you, Paul wrote this a long time ago, but it sounds familiar today. You know, we are living in a time that I would like to coin as unexpected uncertainty. That we're not sure really what's going on, and the leaders that we have in place are, to say it kindly, somewhat questionable. If I could be so kind and share with you, it reminds me um, when I was a child watching Saturday morning cartoons, that there was a cartoon that, that showed this game called King of the Hill. Anybody ever seen that or even play that as a child, King of the Hill? Is that when you're on the playground, that somebody's on the top tier of something, whether it is a swing set or bars, that they're up there and they say they're King of the Hill. And the game is such that those around them will begin to strategize to figure out how to take them out so that they can climb and be the king of the hill. And that's where I feel like the state of our politics is right now, that there is a, there is a playground of, of king of the hill going on, whether it's local politics or national politics, that makes life somewhat challenging to figure out how you overcome. And unfortunately, we are drawn into the conflict because we are also overwhelmed and crowded in our minds, if you will, with oversaturation of information, whether or not the facts are true or not. That everybody has an opinion and everybody's even asked to share their opinion. So what do we do as believers in a living God? What do we do as those who are trying to be faithful to the gospel? What do we do when the room is so crowded with noise and nonsense that even those who call themselves Christians can be considered questionable? I believe that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has something to say to us. And if I also can be honest with you, as a female clergy, you know, Paul can be a little bit challenging in himself too. <laughs> And, and, and Paul and I wrestle a little bit. But one thing that I have come to uh, accept for myself is this, is that there is power in the messages that God has inspired to be written that come from the pen of Paul. And I think this is one of those passages. And you know, this is also one of those passages growing up. It, it's usually taught or sent as a charge to those who are in leadership and how to to deal with other folks of the faith. But I want us to make sure we don't miss the fact that Paul speaks to Tim Timothy first about the power of scripture for himself. He says, as a leader, you're gonna face all these folks in the difficult time of the church that are lovers of selves, full of pride, that money is their motivator, that you're also gonna face folks that take advantage of the vulnerable, those folks who, consider, who call themselves believers, who go into the homes and, and manipulate those who are vulnerable because of society standards or experiences, if you will. That as a leader and as a believer, what do you do? And Paul says to Timothy, 
make sure you stay grounded in two particular things. Just remember how you have seen God work in my life. How God has rescued me. How God has empowered and inspired me. And my question for you all, First Baptist Asheville, is there someone in your life that has overcome a diagnosis and didn't let the cancer become their fullness of who they are, but saw themselves either to a healing or a peaceful transition? Come on, somebody. Have you seen or do you, are you a witness or are you a benefactor of a God that makes a way out of no way? During the pandemic, those folks who lost jobs and possibly lost homes and lost hope somehow found their way through this pandemic. And the question is, are we focusing on the God who is the deliverer, the God who is the provider, the God that makes a way out of no way, or are we like the disciples on the Emmaus Road and are we just talking and complaining about what's going on in society? I would also say to you, in order to be able to be inspired up about God at work, we also have to be courageous enough to tell our testimonies. Come on, somebody. Come on. Too often, we want people to think that we were born like this, right? That we've always had a righteous spirit, that we've always been forgiving. And when the enemy has come after us, we have always just prayed about him instead of talked about him. <laughs> but I think we do a disservice to our, to our Lord and to our faith community when we are not honest about our struggles and also how God has intervened and rescued us. So I'm hoping today that you'll begin to reflect, re, re, Remember and reflect on how God has been active in your life and active in this community of faith. Because we need to have witnesses who have been through some things to help other folks who are on the road to deliverance. So that if you have struggled with the diagnosis and you share with loved ones that you have spent many a nights in tears, but in retrospect, that you remember feeling the warmth of God when your friends stopped by and just sat by your side and displayed ministry of presence. And if we can be honest, if I, I may be honest with you all, I am not the nicest person when I don't feel well. <laughs> and usually I wanna be in isolation. I don't wanna see anybody, don't wanna talk to anybody, but it's awesome when someone pushes past my barriers and calls or shows up that at the time I might not appreciate it, but in retrospect, I realized those were God moments that helped me see my way through. Come on. That Paul is saying that what, just remember the witness of God. This is a man who had been stoned and left for dead. But he's still alive. He was still alive to write this letter. 
This is a man that who was hanging out with Peter and they were eating with Gentiles and doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, Peter got a little twisted when the rest of the disciples showed up. You know, those Christians that can be double-minded sometimes, but still found his way to stay encouraged and do what God had called him to do when somebody else of the faith has let them down. Have you ever been in that place? It's important to share your testimony and it's important for you to remember it. But let me just say this, in case you're not aware, because everybody around you has always, again, been birthed into this Christian righteousness. And people have been slow to share their story. What the Apostle Paul says to Timothy is that remember the Holy Scriptures. And oftentimes when we think about the Holy Scriptures, they're usually about helping to shape people what not to do. But I want to suggest to you to take a, another look because what I am suggesting to you is that this part, that 14, right before you get to chapter four of this text, is more about encouraging Timothy in a way to keep on the straight and narrow himself. That if I can be honest with you as someone who has pastored for 12 years, for someone who's now working in the CBF Global Office, that I struggled with anxiety and depression in 2020 and 2021. That I had a faith crisis during that season when I saw the social unrest. And I can tell you that during that, particular after George Floyd was publicly lynched by somebody who was paid to serve and protect, that my question is, God, how long? And when I went to Habakkuk and I started reading that text, how long, God, how long, God, will you allow this to happen? It made me actually even angrier. Because truth be told, what was revealed publicly was something that was just discovered, I mean, that was shown publicly had always been happening in my community privately. And, you, and I will say to you that the way he died, in my humble opinion, is not the first time that officer did that. It was too easy. It was too easy which for me tells me it was not his first attempt or first time. And as I watch that, as a minister of the gospel, my question was, Lord, when are you going to move? Because something is not right here in this community and in this country. And when that text, how long, frustrated me, I didn't give up of searching scripture. I kept seeking God's face. And I'll tell you the passage that began my journey back to trusting God. Just trying to be real with you all today, and I think it's time for that, right? Because there are times that we have faith crisis, and we have to be honest about those moments. Because we can't overcome and get through if we can't be honest about that. And I want to say to you the passage that finally began my journey back, even though I still had to pray publicly and preach publicly, my personal faith was at crisis, was this. It was Esther. Hmm. It was Esther because 
when Mordecai approached Esther and said that there is a threat on, her, on the people, on our community, and God has need of you. She was frightened, and she wasn't sure what she could do. And what she did is she prayed and fasted and asked for some friends to pray and fast with her. She stuck to the disciplines, the Christian disciplines. <laughs> and what's fascinating and why I said it ministered to me, because when Mordecai said to Esther, no matter your decision, Mordecai said, I'm clear that God is going to move. And I took that as a promise for my faith that God is going to move. And I share with you when I've heard about your testimony, First Baptist Asheville, that you all have agreed to participate in reparations for the city. When I read and see that the mission is that you are a place that's welcoming for all, then you find places for all folks to serve. That you are a manifestation of God's promise that God is moving. For people like myself that don't see too many of our white congregations really engaging in meaningful work as it relates to racial justice. So I want to encourage you all because I will say to you, most folks that I hear that are doing justice work feel isolated. They feel like they're the only one. And so for you to tell your story so that you can reach out from heart to heart to those others who are doing the work, but for some of us who feel that the attack on our community is personal, it also is a glimmer of light into God's testimony that God is at work that God is at work. And the persecution of the church may not look like it did when Paul was walking the earth. So here in America, we don't get stoned or imprisoned from preaching the gospel. We get ridiculed when we try to really truly be the expression of love that is, that is the center of the gospel. That we can be ridiculed, that we can be maligned, and sometimes even threatened if you want to push pack past those evil thresholds. So I want to encourage you that if it gets challenging for you to stay the course, just know and remember that God is a God of justice and God loves all people and you all are continuing to be the expression of God's love. So I said to you those two things that, that, that Paul has said to Timothy, and one is to remember his testimony, because also remember that Paul had his own conversion experience, that he was one who persecuted those from the way. He, he persecuted those people, yes? That he was charged even by the religious folks, by the priests, the high priests, to go and even to, um, to arrest and to take out those who followed Christ. So this notion of believers getting it wrong is not new. It may be new for our experiences in our lives, but it's not new. But we also serve a God that can knock somebody off the horse, <laughs> arrest them with blindness, and spend some time ministering to them so that the man that used to be a Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, could be converted 
to deeply love and share the good news of a risen Christ to those he was even persecuting. I don't know you all, but that excites me because we serve a God with transformation power and a God that has a redemptive power that is life-changing because this man named Paul was not only looking at those who were part of the Jewish community, but he began to expand the reach of the love of God to those who were considered unclean to faith to the faithful at the time. So we have to remember the testimony. But the other thing is he says to him, make sure that you also focus on God's word. And again, usually when I've heard this text, it is about learning enough so you can tell everybody else how to live their lives. But I'll also say to you, when I think about unexpected uncertainty, I think about Jeremiah 29, when the people have found themselves in exile that they were in a foreign land, not knowing whether or not they were going to live or die, not sure about what community was going to look like and how it was going to function because it was an abrupt intrusion in their lives. And I wanna to say to you, in March of 2020, geographically we might not have been taken, but sure enough, our lives were transformed. When the pandemic hit, Churches weren't sure what to do. People at home weren't sure what to do and what the future would look like. We all went into the pandemic thinking it wasn't going to last long. Thank God, I don't think it's gonna last 70 years. <laughs> but it's been a couple of years. And the text has told us that even though you're in an unexpected, uncertain place, that we have a power to produce in unexpected seasons. And the churches did that. The churches transformed from being in person to, to providing community virtually. It was odd. It's still a little odd. But we still became and maintained community. And there were creative ways in which people reached out. And in my church in Georgia, we started to go the old-fashioned way. We, asked, we encouraged folks to write, handwrite cards and notes, to send notes of love, to remember, let people know that you are remembered, that you may not be in my physical presence, but we see you and we value you. That even for Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, we still were able to maintain internships. They just happened to be virtual. So students around the country were still serving churches virtually. That we had the, we had the capacity to produce and continue to be community. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sharing a whole lot about myself to you all today. I'll be honest with you, I was, it was interesting because there were still folks getting married in the pandemic. Folks were finding love and they were joined together in love in an unexpected, uncertain time period. I'm sharing these stories with you because I think sometimes we forget and, and I'll also say to you, I love the Old Testament because those were the holy scriptures in which Timothy was familiar with as holy text at the time. 
And if we can look and find our location in the text, when we are unsure, when we are not, when we are, um, we lack courage, when we are struggling with our own emotions or our faith crisis, that we can find ourselves in imperfect people that are the patriarchs and uh, matriarchs of our faith. That we can find ourselves in Jeremiah to figure out and to realize that even though our location and our surroundings are drastically different, and that we have to figure out how to live our lives very differently and be community very differently, that it's still possible and we can be inspired. Even if we desire for the pandemic to end quickly and it stays longer than we expect, we still can produce, we can find love, we can have families, that we can stay connected, but also we have a responsibility. Although the noise is loud and the politics leave something to be desired. And even though the storms of life literally and figuratively keep coming through hurricanes, through bad legislation, through mass shootings, we are carrying a big load. And I want to suggest to you that if we can get ourselves together and focus on the power of God, on a God who is God of liberator, the God who is the God who's provider, the God who will make a way out of no way, the God who has healed, who's allowed barren rooms to give birth, come on, who's extended the good news of the gospel to those who were considered unclean, have now been touched and part of the community of faith, that we serve a God that at the core is love. That how we discern which way to go, I'm not saying don't get involved politically, everybody ought to vote. Everybody ought to be registered to vote. But as you figure out what to vote, make sure you're lining up at the core of the gospel. Is this an expression of the love of God? With a testimony after they have encountered your vote, say to that person, God is real. I remember in 2014, you all remember when the government first started um, declared a crisis on the border when there are a number of young, young kids that were being sent to our borders without adult accompaniment. And what was interesting is that they were and, and they were being assembled at the border again without adults. And I remember I was in Texas sitting at the table of some ministers and I remember a man who is not um, a proponent of illegal um, immigration said, shared about his ministry on the border. And the question was raised, well, if you don't think that they should be let in and that what's happening is correct, then why are you ministering to those folks at the border? 
he and some folks were providing food, were providing clothing. And he said to us at the table, although I don't believe it's right what they're doing and we should not as a government allow them to come in, what he wanted them to know when they went back home is that when they were hungry, they were fed. When they didn't have clothes, they were given clothes. That politically he didn't believe in what's taking place, but he was able to find a focus to be a demonstration of God's love. Now some of y'all looking at me kind of strange. <laughs> what I'm saying to you, let's error on love. Let's make sure that what we do and when we are confused about what to do, let's look at the love of God, that we serve a God that will transform the life of a man that was persecuting those who were considered the, from the way. That we serve a God that even though the children of Israel being disciplined in exile, still gave grace enough for them to produce, to love, to grow in family and create home that we serve a God that's made a way for us to stay in fellowship during a pandemic, to find community virtually when we could not be in person, that we served a God that was able to help folks find places to live, to be able to find a way to recover even from grief in this season. God is still real. And when there is chaos in the church, the way we ought to focus is thinking about that even in the image in our minds, there's another there, there's another one taking place, another one that shows through. Figure ground reversal. That instead of focusing on the negative, focus on the God who can and God who is. And asking God. When you have clarity and peace, then asking God for direction. Because remember, the one who's writing this letter to Timothy is not somebody who grew up in the church and got it right all the time. And he's not the one that when he started his ministry had no challenges. He was the one that says that some called apostles, um, apostle, mm, have called leaders to lead. But it is Jesus Christ that we need to focus on not our politicians, but policies that demonstrate the love of Christ. Positions and ministries that help people know that God is real because we are his hands and his feet. We are his, demonstrated of his heart when we hug on those who are hurting, when we show up and be the ministry of presence for those who are alone and sick. And there we are those that help set the captives free. We have the capacity to focus in a crowded room, to move forward in the things and the ways of Christ. I just wanted to stop by to encourage you all today to stay focused. If you're getting ridiculed for being progressive, stay focused. If you're unsure about what God is doing, but you see the impact of the love that's taking place, stay focused. Because God is with you. God has you. And God has need of you.
like he had of Timothy, to teach and preach and be the gospel in community. It may be crowded, but you can find your seat to do God's kingdom building work in this country that's midst of chaos. We can be the ones to help calm the storm. Amen? Amen. Amen.